0: Hi, I'm Dave Scott. I'm pastor of Crossway Community Church, and I want to welcome you. Crossway is a church simply committed to making disciples. We meet at 1501 Woodbury Road. It's off of Colonial and Fort in East Orlando. Come check us out. I look forward to meeting you. Good morning, everyone. I'll... Um, Pray to uh, begin our time here, but uh, and then when I do, I'll dismiss Crossway Kids as well. But Jeff, could you go to the second slide, the one past the title, just past the title slide? This is the last time I studied the Book of John in depth. Uh, so uh, these are two of my ladies, uh, Amy and Katie. When we were living in Buffalo, we had recently finished Katie's room. And uh, this would have been late winter, early spring of 2010. Uh, But uh, yeah, and then if you can go to the next slide, Jeff. Uh, This is uh, Katie helping me out a little bit. Um, And uh, given that we were living in Buffalo, I'm wearing a short-sleeved shirt, and by Katie's age, I'm guessing this is maybe John chapter 10 or 11 or so. Summer, sometime in that range. So, uh, but yeah, just thought those were good reminders of what was going on the last time I studied the book of John in depth. Not that I'm trying to do all this by memory today, so Uh, let me pray. Uh, I want to include in my prayer uh, the chorus from a song by Mercy Me that was in my head, Word of God Speak. Uh, But uh, I'll pray to start our time and then uh, pray to dismiss Crossway Kids. Father God, thank you so much for today. Uh, Thank you indeed for your holy and precious word. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity uh, that our kids have to be learning uh, about you in um, a very special way and Pray for uh, Roberta and others as they're with them, um, that you would speak through them and guide and direct them and help the kids to hear and learn what you would have them do so today. And pray that for us as well. Lord, uh, do pray word of God speak. Would you pour down like rain, washing our eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place indwelling Uh, Each of us who are in you, please let us stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God, speak. In your son's precious name, amen. Okay, Jeff, you can go back to the title slide now. Thanks. Uh, So we're continuing on uh, with our study of John, um, the series being titled Believe and Live. and the particular title of this one, I Am the Living Water. And when, when I did study, uh, it took me, I, I believe, over a year and a half, if I remember that right. But it took me a month to study Chapter 7. Um, that, I only say that to give you an idea of how much is in here. Um, you know, that was just personally how I went about it. Um, but it's all one big scene. Uh, We're not going to cover all 52 verses, so I would encourage you to read it on your own, uh, all of it. Maybe even dive a little bit deeper uh, if you get the opportunity for anything the Lord might have for you there. Um, So I'm I'm going to attempt to hit on different verses and passages, spending a little more time uh, in some of them and skipping others. Also be touching on some verses in the chapter that weren't read earlier, but the ones that were read, I thought, captured the essence of points that we want to most emphasize this morning. So in chapter 6, we saw that Jesus is the bread of life, and now in chapter 7, we'll see him as the living water, which we also saw him, uh, heard him referred to as in chapter 4 of John. And between chapter 6 and 7, scholars basically uh, there's a consensus that they believe there was about a six-month break in between those two chapters. Um, so just to give you an idea. Uh, to give you more of the, the background and the context, almost all of chapter 7 takes place at the Feast of Booths, or the tab- Feast of Tabernacles, as it's sometimes known, uh, especially in that day. Uh, to commemorate God's protection of and provision for his people during the 40 years they were in the desert after they escaped Egypt. It was a feast held at the time of produce harvesting. harvesting. So the produce would be gathered and the people would build shelters or booths uh, made of branches and boughs of trees. So this, of course, is a modern day version. Um, but uh, the general structure is, is really, I imagine, similar. Um, as, as far as what the Bible describes as well uh, Some other versions might be a bi- much bigger booth to accommodate one very long table And there would often also be, and you might be able to barely see it here But uh, also lights uh, decorating the, the booth um, So that gives you an idea of what we're talking about here So the details of this and God's institution of it are in Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 16, and it's mentioned in multiple other places as well. There were originally three different feasts instituted in the Old Testament. Now there are multiple other uh, holidays and festivals in the Jewish calendar, Um, but this one was the most prominent, at least in Jesus' day. Uh, So today this, this feast is often called Sakat, and it actually just took place this past week beginning at sunset on the 29th, ending at nightfall this past Friday evening. Uh, of course, many of you probably heard that uh, there were terrorist attacks, um, uh, I believe, on Friday. Um, so, um, at the at the end of this celebration. So, just need to remember to keep um, Israel and the entire Middle Eastern conflict in our prayers. Um, but the feast was to last seven days, including, ending with an eighth day of special celebration and festive gathering. And so there's the setting for the passage. Um, But, of course, it's not really about the Feast of Booths, ultimately. We're going to see, as we've seen throughout this book, that it's about who Jesus is and whether or not the people see him as the Messiah and equal with the Father. So, uh, just to read verses 1 and 2 again, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' Feast of Booths was at hand. So after Jesus had fed thousands of people, declared he's the spiritual bread of eternal life, roughly six months later, here we are, um, says he went about in Galilee, but that he didn't go to Judea, especially to the city of Jerusalem, because he knew the Jewish leaders there were looking to kill him. And verses 3 through 5 say, So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. So, feast and booths at hand in Jerusalem where it was being held. And so Jesus has a dilemma from a purely human perspective in that it's not his time to suffer and die. That hasn't arrived yet. But this feast was one of the three annual feasts that all Jewish men were required to attend. However, as we'll see, Jesus is going to go, but in a way where he again strategically uses it as a significant ministry opportunity. So if... Verses 3 through 5, at least in tone, sounds familiar. It should, because even though it didn't jump right out to me um, at the first, but Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 7, it's not going to be up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, as Jesus is being led into the wilderness, it says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And have to remember, everything is under the Father's providence. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus' brothers are basically, again, in tone at least, saying the same thing. They want some kind of magic show. They want a big demonstration. What can be experienced with one or more of the five senses? They want Jesus to dazzle them and dazzle a large audience, because why wouldn't you? Um, Colossians 3.2 is actually one of my favorite verses. Um, And there Paul says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And the word there for minds is actually... um, Affections. Place your affections on things above, not on things that are on the earth. But that's not where Jesus' brothers had their minds or their hearts or their affections. They're not having the Colossians 3.2 mindset. We have to remember, again, the signs Jesus performed were always meant to point to the fact of who he was. Scripture says we walk by faith, not by sight. So nor were Jesus' brothers aligned with God's timetable, which is to say they were the ones trying to set the agenda. We clearly see in verse 5, they didn't believe in him. I I love how it just comes right out and says it. Um, Most importantly, regarding that he was the Messiah. They were his brothers, they had lived with him their whole lives, and they still didn't believe that he was the Messiah. So how might this be us? I think we do well to regularly ask God if there are any ways that we try to take control of our lives instead of following him and his plans. And then if so, asking him to root those attitudes and behaviors out of us. Verses six through nine includes Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come. But your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that, it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time is not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. So whether it's the beginning of his ministry, the crucifixion, whatever it is, Jesus is always on the Father's schedule. But the world doesn't abide by the Father's schedule. There's, as one commentator said, a difference in standards leading to misunderstanding and hostility oftentimes. Jesus is not only doing what the world, not, not only not doing what the world wants, he's doing what it hates very proactively. John 15 18 through 19 uh, speaks to this as well. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. 2 Corinthians 14 through 16, um, it's another one I gravitate to, Second um, Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, Paul says, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death. To the other a fragrance from life to life who is sufficient for these things so I, I love how clear that is that we're going to exude jesus if we're walking with him and people are going to either be attracted to us or repelled by us if we're walking in christ second timothy 3:12 says indeed all desire all who desire to live a godly life in christ jesus will be persecuted, again, going along with the world hates you, hates us theme. And we also need to add here that one's identity, ultimate identity, is either in Christ or in something else or someone else. But it can't be both at the same time. It never is. They are inherently mutually exclusive. Verses 10 through 13 John 7, as I flip back, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private, as his brothers were wanting him to do. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray, Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Jesus wasn't going to go the way his brothers wanted him to go, but in a way that would allow him to continue on the Father's mission, where his name would continue to be an issue, where he would not be arrested, as his time for that had not come, where he would focus on teaching and not on performing miracles at this feast. (laughs) <laughs> verses 14 through 18 say about the middle of the feast Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching the Jews therefore marvel, saying how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied so Jesus answered them my teaching is not mine but his who sent me If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The man who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So it's the middle of the feast when the maximum amount of people would be there. So again, Jesus is being very strategic he chooses the time to teach when the most people could hear his teaching. In looking at uh, verses 16 through 18, specifically, we know multiple times in Jesus' teachings, he would preface them with phrases like, you've heard that it was said, fill in the blank, but I tell you. Or truly, truly, I say to you. So he wasn't, deferring to the, whatever the traditional teaching was um, or uh, the rabbis or the scribes or the Pharisees, as is normal for teachers to do, but he was teaching as one who had authority directly from the Father, as it mentions in Matthew seven twenty nine and Mark 1, 22. Except that he was claiming his teaching wasn't his own and that that and his authority came from the Father. If we're aligned with God's heart and his will and following and loving him, we'll know what's from him and what isn't. Is it from God or is it not? I think that's what Jesus is getting at in verse 24, where he says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. What's the filter, the framework? Through which they're thinking? Is it all the various laws that they added that God never said? Such as there was to be no help given to anyone on the Sabbath? Something they kept coming after Jesus about? Is it the miracles when they're dazzled? Is it what they think they can get from Him, regardless of what He teaches? What are our motives with Jesus, or in loving the Christian life? Is it these things, or do we pursue Him as our first love, as it says in Revelation five seven? <clears throat> Bear with me just a moment. John five thirty. Going along with this point of verse 24, 724. John 530 says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. We need to think biblically and be discerning. We need to judge righteously, which that concept is many times in the Old Testament uh, and in the New Testament as well. But uh, how do we do With discernment? Do we hear something on the news or something directed to us saying, here's what you need to do? Or uh, have that directed toward us and, and take it at face value without asking any questions? Or do we seek the Lord and ask Him for wisdom, discernment, and guidance? Do we ask him to help us use our God-given sound minds to filter what we hear and see to know if it conforms to his word and his character? If we're pursuing Jesus as our first love, not perfectly, which isn't possible in this life, but pursuing him nonetheless in that way, we're going to rightly apply verse 24. Verses 28 and 29. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple. I, I have to say I think it's fascinating that he's looking to not be arrested. Of course, God's sovereignty is over this, him not being arrested. <coughs> but he's he's in the temple. He's, he's very public at that moment. And yet it's like there's got to be people being captivated by his teaching um, with all sorts of various responses, I'm sure. But as, as we're seeing here. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So Jesus builds on that argument, basically saying they need to know he's equal with and has been sent by the Father. Even as they had thought they knew all about where he had come from. The people are questioning where he comes from, from a human perspective. He's wanting to get across the fact that he's God, that he's equal with the Father and has been sent by the Father. So it's another drink metaphor, just as we saw in John 6, among other metaphors. But um, we're here on the feast last day. Uh, Again, strategy being employed. It's like you got to love how Jesus is practical in all the best senses. Uh, But still, uh, on the feast last day, a water ritual that included an offering would be connected with the need for rain the following year. And Isaiah 12.3 actually speaks to this, or alludes to it, at least. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Verse 37 of John 7 is a gospel invitation. One commentator interprets what Jesus is describing here as, quote, a trusting, ongoing personal relationship with him, not just mere intellectual assent, but a wholehearted personal involvement and participation. So when Jesus says scripture in verse 38, he's not talking about a, a specific verse or passage per se, but the collective point that he's making here that we find in multiple verses and passages in the Old Testament. So, uh, I had already uh, mentioned Isaiah, but Isaiah, again, chapter 55, verse 1, says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, Buy wine and milk without money and without price. I, I love how often you see in the New Testament how, uh, whether it's Jesus or other New Testament authors or speakers, they're using the Old Testament to make a point. Even if they're not always directly quoting it, a lot of times they're at least alluding to it, and it's, it's fascinating and connects the whole Bible together. I love that. Um, but again in Isaiah 58, Verse 11. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Proverbs 4.23 talks more about, maybe you could say, application of what happens with this. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And finally, as, uh, finally in this list of verses that I'm reading, uh, Galatians 5.22 and 23 is um, a well-known passage when we think about what it means to be keeping in step with the Spirit says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Which I I think it's fascinating, too, that... Whoa. (laughs) That wasn't supposed to happen. (laughs) Um, Paul says, against such things, there is no law. And Jesus is here going against Jewish leaders in John 7, as, of course, he did most of his earthly life. And he had said, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So um, I love the, the wordplay that's going on there. Um, and, and in the very, very best sense, it's almost as if... Uh, Biblically, a can of worms is being opened here in verse 39 because you're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and then we just move on. But it's a hint because, again, uh, Jesus having not been glorified, we can think of that as his innate glory being brought to light or made manifest after his ascension. Uh, And, of course, it was later after his ascension that the Holy Spirit came on the believers in Christ. And... Uh, I love that it, it's, it's like a hint, but it's slightly more than a hint, because Jesus is saying, come to me. This is where you're going to get life. This is where you're going to get refreshment. And then from there, from, as a result of that, as a result of being in me, you're going to experience all of that and then pass it on to others. You're going to exude me. You're going to multiply yourself and multiply your faith if you're abiding in me. Which that is going to be my next point, and as we close, um, it's it's the one way that I answer how we can do well with this. How can we apply all of this? And um, one of the things I think of is that uh, we can come to Christ, and we can actually be passive about our faith in the sense that um, we we just sort of let life go by, for lack of a better way of putting it, I mean in general. Um, But if we're proactive about our faith, then we're abiding in Christ. And so John uh, chapter 15, verses 4 and 5 is a passage that comes to mind for this. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So I just think some of the primary ways we abide in Christ, it's being in His word, reading through it, studying it, meditating on it. Uh, it's constantly, consistently praying. Uh, with all sorts of different things. Uh, requests, re- requests, uh, the ACTS acronym, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Uh, it's living in community that we've talked about here this morning. Um, being in fellowship. Um, it's those ways and then asking God, uh, seeking after him to know the particular ways uh, of how we multiply our faith uh, to others, how we Participate in the advancement of the gospel, that we might be uh, directing people to Jesus as the source of the living water. So, um, something we can be praying about for this week and beyond. So, let me pray to close this. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Pray that you would allow it to have its effect in our hearts and our lives. Uh, today, this week, and beyond, and help us to know how we can be reflecting you and directing others to you as the source, as not just the source of living water, which, of course, you are, but the, the living water itself, um, eternally. Thank you so much for that, and help us, please, to keep our eyes fixed on you and to keep in step with your spirit. In your name, Jesus, Amen. Thanks for joining us today and listening to this message from Crossway Community Church. Once again, we meet at 1045 on Sunday mornings at 1501 Woodbury Road, which is just off Colonial and 408 in East Orlando. Come check us out. I'll see you then.